Hi there, I'm Quinn White, and welcome to But I'm Not an Engineer, the electrical and computer engineering podcast hosted by me, a USC journalism student who was asked to run this show. Will I learn new things? Yes. Will I be confused? Without a doubt. Join me as I talk with members of the ECE community to learn more about their work and the important role that ECE is playing in our future. In this episode, I'm joined by Ben Paul. He's the communications manager for the ECE department, but I know him better as my boss. We sat down with Radhika Bakori, a senior in the Department of Electrical and Computer Engineering, who is currently working on research in Viterbi's Autonomous Networks Research Group. The three of us sat down to talk about her experience at Viterbi and how she was able to find her path within ECE. Here's that conversation. Can you go ahead and please introduce yourself for me and tell me about what you're studying? Sure. My name is Radhika. I am a rising senior studying electrical and computer engineering with an emphasis in electrical sciences. Awesome. So you wrote this great blog for the department, and in the beginning you said that you were so excited to study ECE, but you soon found yourself feeling overwhelmed with how broad this field of study is, and you felt kind of lost in ECE. So can you tell me more about that experience? Sure. So I actually applied to USC as a physics major, and I thought that that was something that I wanted to do. I loved physics in high school and just wanted to like continue learning about physics in college. But then it was like the second half of my senior year of high school where I realized that I wanted to be able to apply the physics knowledge that I was learning into something practical to sort of help the world or design something. So my physics teacher suggested electrical engineering. So at that time I had already been admitted to USC and so I switched over to EE um, the first semester of my sophomore year. And I was taking a lot of courses to kind of catch up and I was new to programming. So I had prior physics knowledge, um, but as far as programming I was like completely new and it was very overwhelming. There was a huge learning curve for me to kind of like get down what programming was. Um, so yeah, I started to feel a little lost because I was taking all these like foundational courses like embedded systems, programming, linear algebra, and I wasn't seeing how everything was fitting together. It just seemed sort of like discrete courses that didn't link together. And it was only until the second semester sophomore year when I took the course EE250, mm-hmm. which is the distributed systems and the internet of things where I began to see this like bird's eye view of the major and that really helped put things into perspective like why do we learn programming, why do we learn digital circuits, the theoretical math aspect, how does physics even come into the picture. So that was a very cool experience for me and just like gave me the motivation and sort of the bigger picture of like where I was headed. So can you tell me more about how you found that specific focus and how like you found out which direction you wanted to head into? Sure. I mean, I think it's only it's only up until maybe two semesters ago that I kind of found that direction. Um, I started to enjoy ECE more after I got involved in research, but I was still like, there was so many things that were exciting to me and I wasn't sure. But um, again, kind of going back to high school when I took AP Physics 2, I really liked learning about optics and light. And I thought that was super exciting. And it was a very short unit at the time. but. When I took EE 370, which is an electromagnetics course my junior year, everything sort of clicked where I was like, this is extremely exciting in the application. There's like so much to explore. 
Um, and then I had an internship this past summer where I was working with photonics and lasers and just like seeing how the different things I was learning in ECE played into the area of photonics was so fascinating to me. And that's kind of when I figured out that, okay, this is the area in EE that I really want to like dive deep into. That, what exactly is photonics? I've never heard that word before. Sure, so it, it kind of is related to photons, which are light particles, and so photonics is the study of light, how light interacts with different materials, how you can exploit those materials to create different devices, like say a laser or a waveguide. So that's kind of like the broad, broad idea, photonics. So going back to some of these classes that you mentioned that were really um, important for you to find like your like way in ECE, mm -hmm. like ECE or the sorry EE two fifty. Can you tell me about those classes that you took and how they helped you build your foundation within the ECE department? Yes. So I think like looking back now, the very important foundational course was EE one fifty five, which is the programming course. So that just laid the entire foundation for me to be able to program. And now like no matter what project I'm working on, even if it's more physics related, like you have to learn how to, you have to program. So that was super uh, foundational. And also I think EE250, just because I was exposed to the different areas in ECE from like signal processing to machine learning um, and, and also the network side, how a computer works. Um, so all those things are just good to have like a big picture idea um, and 370, again, that was like an advanced physics course applied to the area of EE. And so there was a lot of grinding out with the math and stuff, but that really helped lay a foundation for future um, optics and photonics courses that I've either taken or will plan to take. And definitely my internship. I took a grad course in the spring um, and that was incredible because I used everything I learned in that course in my internship and that was a cool experience to kind of see like theory and experiment coming together over the, over the summer. And it's exciting to actually use the stuff you learn in class yeah. in real life. Oh, for sure. And because we were virtual for so long, I never had any experience in an optics lab or, you know, working with mirrors or lasers or anything like experimental. So. I was just like, wow, even the simple things like aligning a laser, or putting mirrors in front of a laser, I was like, wow. Lasers sound cool and fun, honestly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so can you tell me more about um, this research that you're currently working on? It sounds really exciting. Mm -hmm. So I kind of have two different projects going on. So um, I started research with my advisor, Professor Krishnachari the end of my sophomore year. And so the project I've been working on with him over the past year, it's exploring how communication evolves in a robotic network. So if there's like different strategies that say an agent has to communicate, we kind of explore under what conditions communication emerges at all. And um, so we extend the simulation that we've designed to account for just two different types of robots or a population of robots um, so that's kind of the work we're doing right now. And so we thought we were going to be wrapping up one of the projects, but just in a research meeting last week, there was some like thing in the results that wasn't quite adding up. And we thought maybe it was a bug or a mistake, but that actually turned out to be some deeper insight. And now we're going a completely different avenue and exploring that, which is what I love about research. Like you think that you kind of figured it out, but then, oh, it's something totally different. Um, that seems cool to explore. Can we um, jump back for a minute? So you talked about 
communication between robot robots. What when you, when, when you say communication, what do you what is communication in the sure. in the engineering or research sense of the word? So at least for our defined problem, communication is sending a signal. So um, in, in our case, it's like a binary zero or one. So if if the responder signals, then you know that's a one in our simulation. If they don't, then that's a zero. That's kind of how we read it in terms of the code. But this does model, like it could be extended to model a more like real life robotic system where it's either a light turning on or a color signal or a robot like physically moving to another location. Mm -hmm. um, so when you say evolving, I think you use the term evolving communication mm -hmm. systems. Yeah. Um, I mean, is that evolving in the sense that I'm familiar with the word? Like the, 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 the robot, the two robots or the two centers are changing the way they communicate with each other on their own, independent of, of human mm -hmm. um, interaction? Exactly. That's kind of the motivation to our research because, sure, we can go in and hard code behaviors for robots, but if something changes in the environment or there has to be some, some sort of change like midway in a simulation and you don't want to, like the problem is sufficiently complex that you can't solve it or find the optimal strategy. What we want to do is give some sort of rewards and penalties to the agents. Um, and given for that scenario, the robots will actually adopt a strategy that optimizes at that moment what the situation was. So they have different strategies that they can choose. So say um, we have this one parameter called need, which represents like a physical need, or like if a robot was needing battery or some physical help, they would signal to a responder. The responder would come and satisfy that need. But if, if the need never occurs, it only occurs, say, 1% of the time, then it's not like cost-efficient to constantly signal. So we're trying to see how the system converges over time to adopt a strategy that's optimal. Okay. So robots aren't that different than us. They, they just have needs that need to be met, too, just like us. Robots are people, too. Yeah, robots are people. Yeah. Robots have rights. Yeah. <laughs> Another thing that you mentioned is how um, I just want to make sure I got it right how when you were doing your research how you said pretty recently like you hit like a bump in the road and how it ended up like changing your research a little bit so that kind of leads me into my next question so when you've been doing your research can you tell me about some of the things that you didn't really expect going in like were there any misconceptions that you had going in that turned out to not be true were there like roadblocks that you didn't see coming ahead that ended up like presenting itself and getting in the way of your research or how has that been working? I would say like going into any research project because it's so open-ended, you're not always sure what you're trying to answer in the beginning, which can kind of get in the way of like when you're actually trying to implement something. So we always start off with a question and then like read a lot of papers, gain experience, um, or just acquire more intuition from prior reading prior literature. Mm -hmm. um, and that sort of like shapes the direction or or we see, oh, someone has already explored this, like maybe we could try extending their work this way or maybe like try a completely original problem. Um, but definitely um, the challenge of research is you kind of start a problem and, and you do a certain like experiment or simulation, then it, you realize, oh, I think our question should have been this. So then the question kind of changes, mm -hmm. the simulation entirely changes, and then you're like in a different direction. Um, but you kind of just have to go with your intuition and like follow through one particular path and then analyze like why that either worked or didn't work and then see what the next step is from there. Um, 
which is like the exciting and challenging part of research. Sure, you have to be able to adapt. Yeah. Would you say that um, right, the most effective researchers are the ones that don't go in with a predetermined goal that they're trying to achieve or a, or a predetermined outcome, I guess. Exactly. Like those would be things that would that would maybe limit you in research. Yeah. So like, about. I mean, you do have some sort of hypothesis, but it's it's more like you have to interpret the results for what they are, not try right. to mold the results to either support or, you know, nullify your hypothesis. Mm -hmm. it's, it's all about keeping an open mind mm -hmm. and kind of like interpreting the results for what they are. You know, I'm just going to go a little bit off script for a minute. I wonder sure. if like that, has that way of thinking helped you in other parts of your life as well? Oh, definitely. Like, I think even in my EE courses, they've definitely gotten more rigorous, mm -hmm. but I haven't been feeling that they're as challenging as I maybe would have if I hadn't done research, mm -hmm. just because it's that open-ended, and when you're taking an exam or there's like a very weird sort of problem, um, I'm like used to that mindset of like breaking it down into its elementary aspects and then kind of going from there and just like following some sort of logic and seeing where it lands. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, maybe I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I'm also wondering if if that way of thinking helps you even outside of the engineering world, you know, has it helped, has that kind of way of thinking um, helped kind of like inform the way you think about the world at large mm -hmm. or the way you deal with problems outside of school or research or things like that? Or am I getting like way too ahead of myself? No, no, I, I think so. I think research, that's what's what I've loved about the research experience is it's just kind of like molded my character differently and my personality. Mm. Um, and no matter what I approach, I just approach it with a different lens now, mm. um, which is, yeah, it's exciting. And I feel like I can make connections that I couldn't have before. It almost like unlocked a part of my brain that I didn't think I had access to mm. and kind of just like changed my perspective. I have like a wider perspective of the world now. That's really great. And that actually, um, so more about like how engineering has changed your perspective. Can you tell me how your research has helped change that perspective on engineering? Yeah, I think it just, it goes back to that idea that like whatever problem you're exploring hasn't been explored before. So you really have to like hone into what you already know and your intuition and your skills and like have confidence in yourself and just pursue something systematically. Um, and then, yeah, just, just be excited with what you see in the end. And yeah, it's almost like in reinforcement learning, you like pick a strategy, you do it, and then there's some like rewards or penalties that sort of shape your next step. And so that's how I feel like my life is right now. It's like, I'll do something, then kind of assess like, okay, like, do I need to do more of this or less of this? Or like, how can I change that? And mm -hmm. that's sort of like had a ripple effect in every area of my life. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me about how the resources within the ECE department helped you develop your research? Yes, I think first and foremost, the faculty. I mean, I, I came into USC as a freshman. I never even considered getting involved in research. I had a different conception of what research was altogether, but because I had such a great professor for EE 250, I just, the class was two hours twice a week, and normally it's hard to like stay completely locked into a lecture for that long, but every class I was just like absorbing it like a sponge and I didn't want it to end. And because of like his energy and his passion for his field and just how like compassionate and knowledgeable he was, he makes a great research advisor and definitely has shaped my perception of research. Like, I'm sure I would have had a slightly different experience if I was with a different advisor, but I think 
definitely he's my biggest resource and like source of motivation. That's something I've heard a lot of the undergrads talk about, just our faculty here, how accessible they are. Yes. Um, would you say that, I mean, I, I'm not a student here, nor am I an engineer, <laughs> but um, I feel like the students here have a very unique opportunity to connect with all their faculty in engineering at a much deeper level than I would have expected. We, mm -hmm. I mean, would you say would you say that's true? I think so. They're they're very open to guide you. Like you can just walk into their office hours or email them to grab coffee, and they're just so interested in learning more about your interests and offering you mentorship. It's just a very like welcoming community, especially I've noticed in ECE. They're all like very supportive. Um, I'll go and talk to some of my freshmen. EE professors and they always want to know like how I'm doing mm -hmm. and, and like what I'm doing with EE now and they're just so interested. Um, yeah, I love that. And that's so important and it's so exciting to have other people that care and are able to support you like that. Mm -hmm. And even now that I'm, I'm thinking of applying to grad school for, for a PhD program, mm -hmm. I've met with a lot of them and they've given me really great advice. Like each one of them has had a completely different perspective that mm -hmm. has helped me kind of piece together like where I want to head later mm -hmm. on. From a student perspective, can you tell me what's great about ECE and why it's a good direction for students to go into? Yes, I love this question. <laughs> ECE is amazing. I think it is, like as my advisor says, it's, it's just such a broad degree that combines math, physics, and um, computer science together. And pretty much after you have an ECE degree, you can go anywhere. You have the skills to be a software engineer or a theoretical physicist to go into electromagnetics or even like the theoretical algorithm side of, of CS or, or a more theoretical math, applied math career. It's just so many different skills and, and you learn how those skills work together and what you can do with all of them. I think it's just one of the best majors that you could possibly do. So one of the things that is so great, like you said about engineering, is how diverse it is. And you mentioned how EE250 helped you put together this puzzle that is ECE. Mm -hmm. So can you tell me exactly what kind of puzzle this is? <laughs> sure. Yeah, I think one of the challenges of ECE, which also makes it incredibly exciting, is how diverse it is. I mean, it ranges from like how computers are built to like photons and lasers, which is, you know, immediately you don't see the connection between these two. And that's what I was struggling with, too, because there's like three different tracks in our program. And I was like, I have no idea like which one I would want to do. Like they all seem cool. What are those tracks? So those tracks are computer engineering, then there's signal processing, and then the electrical sciences track. And then within electrical sciences, you can either go more the circuit design path or electromagnetics. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so those are the different tracks. And so my <laughs> my idea was how, how does this like track even form? Like what is the overarching thing that connects these different tracks? And so in the beginning, when you're kind of taking classes like in the different groups, you don't see the connection. But then in 250, when we went from like computers to like signal processing, there was like a little bit of an intersection between them. And then between signal processing and like circuit design. So you kind of start seeing the same sort of like approach to problems, the same sort of math, like the equations are all in the same format, but they represent different physical variables. 
Um, and in pretty much all the disciplines, there's some aspect of programming, just different kinds of programming. So that's where I like really appreciated the role that programming plays in EE. Would that be, maybe this is a weird metaphor, but that, would that be like something like, if you've learned Spanish and then you're learning Italian and you're mm -hmm. like, oh, I see, like this is the same grammar structure. It's yeah. a different language, but but I totally see how these two languages are connected. Exactly. Something like that. Yeah, they all like kind of have the same gr grammatical structure and syntax, mm -hmm. but as far as like the individual words that you use in each area is, is a bit different and mm -hmm. like context dependent. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think that puzzle thing is something Quinn and I were trying to like figure out how to phrase it to you because neither one of us obviously is is engineers, but um, I would I, I think I think we can even go a bit deeper into mm -hmm. like what is that puzzle like what is the mm -hmm. ECE puzzle what is um, you know is there a particular kind of approach to the world or to problems that kind of um, is pervasive across all these ECE disciplines things like that do you know. Mm -hmm. I want to get like really philosophical for a moment. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, yeah, I guess like I have this, the puzzle in my head is sort of spherical. Mm -hmm. And so it starts with like the computer engineering track, which is like very programming and digital logic circuits heavy. But then like if you look at the backside of the sphere that sort of connects to like electrophysics, you're like using those like digital circuit elements in um, like optical devices and optical setups. So like you can kind of understand how those devices are um, designed for the purposes of like an optics or, or laser application, but then kind of going on the other side of the sphere, um, computer programming and computer architecture also falls into signal processing and there's like a very nice connection between them, especially like machine learning and signal processing. Um, there's just like, I don't even know how to describe it. It's just, I think after um, gaining experience, taking more classes. There's just like all those little, little details from class that sort of fits somewhere on the sphere. And it just makes more sense now than if you're, the sphere is very empty. It's almost like the more experience you acquire either from research, internships, or classes, it like colors one of the dots on the sphere. Mm. And it lies in some sort of like intersection of those three tracks. Mm -hmm. I like the way that you describe it like as a circle because I had the same thought for a while. I was like, I was like some of the things that like I've learned about since I started working here, like they seem like they have nothing in common. I know. They yeah. seem like they have absolutely nothing in common. But when you explain it like that, how like it all goes in a circle and how like um, it all kind of like fits together, that makes so much more sense. Yeah, because if you think about it, you have these like different signal processing techniques, but how are those done? That's done through digital circuits. So mm. you need the actual circuits to be able to do something, mm -hmm. do the algorithm. And then you can use a computer hardware chip in a like optic setup. So it's just like all intertwined. And they like all, building blocks. Yeah, they're like building blocks, but you can also like zoom in on one of the building blocks and like only look at, you know, that building block. What advice would you give to other young aspiring engineers? Be curious, follow your curiosity and ask lots of questions. Like sometimes in the beginning, I always thought I had like dumb questions in class that would arise and I wouldn't, I would be a little shy and like not ask them. But then as I like became more confident and just took more classes, I started asking those questions. And sometimes it's the most like basic questions that lead to the most interesting discussions. So like, don't, don't be afraid to ask questions um, and develop connections with your faculty, especially ECE faculty. They're there for you. They want to get to know you. Um, and I think 
if you don't think research is something for you, like you never know just from like talking to a professor, there may be a project that they're working on that seems interesting to you and you could get involved and then all of a sudden your perspective or research changes. That kind of like what happened with me. Um, but yeah, I think having them as a resource and also guides and mentors is, is really key to being a successful engineer at the Turkey. That's very relatable to me too because I'm very familiar with asking basic questions. Mm -hmm. I asked so many basic questions in this department. <laughs> what is that? I find myself asking yeah. a lot of silly questions. <laughs> well, sometimes it's like the obvious ones that we need to ask, like, you know, like, where did you get that from? Or like, why does that make sense? And then that leads to like a whole discussion. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I know we talked about a whole bunch of different stuff in our conversation, but is there anything that you'd like to add, maybe that you didn't get the chance to talk about? Um, oh yeah, I think one, one nice thing is that there's a variety of tech electives in the ECE department, mm. and especially for juniors and seniors. Like I, would, I know that there are the three tracks, but if you have space in your schedule or like if you're not doing a track, I think it's nice to take classes in all three. Mm. Um, so that's kind of what I've been doing. And that just like sort of helps build your experience as an electrical engineer because mm -hmm. you may think that, oh, I'm like working with digital logic circuits and computer engineering. I don't really need to know the other stuff like this is my specialty, but you never know, like at some point there'll be a project and it deals with like an analog circuit or mm -hmm. like a signal processing algorithm. And then if you had taken a class in like one of those things, that's you know, helpful. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like, I hear professors say this all the time, oh, be curious, try different things. It sounds like, obviously, everyone should be curious, and it's especially valuable for engineers to be curious. It sounds like it's especially, especially valuable for ECE students, specifically, to be even more curious. I think so. Yeah, and any opportunity to take programming classes or do your own programming projects on the side so you get exposed to different kinds of programming like object-oriented programming or programming scientific programming programming in MATLAB programming um, like different microcontrollers there's just so much to explore in, in each skill required for EC it's it's worth doing at some point it sounds like there's a world of opportunity yeah <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to another episode of But I'm Not an Engineer. To listen to past or future episodes of this podcast, please visit uscece.podbean.com or search But I'm Not an Engineer on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Be sure to follow usc.ece on Instagram to stay up to date on new episodes and other exciting projects from the electrical and computer engineering labs. For the Viterbi School of Engineering, I'm Quinn White. Thanks again for listening.